So guys, welcome to another episode of the King of Weighted Calisthenics Coaching Cues podcast. Sorry for missing uh, the upload last week. We were just simply too busy. So uh, we couldn't find an appointment for recording. But now we are back starting with our Q&A. And I would say, ask me. <laughs> Let's go. So we're starting today's uh, podcast with a very, very simple question uh, that we actually received many, many times already, um, recently especially. And that is probably something you need to answer. And that is, when is the King of Weighted Showdown Season 2? Showdown Season 2. So uh, I think I already published uh, a story about this. So um, the main problem that we are facing there is that running a season like this is very, very expensive for us because like it is very, very time consuming. So you need to calculate, uh, you know, all the loans in it, the hours that we need to put in. You need to have a programmer that you need to pay that um, runs the, the whole back end of, of it. Uh, we need to organize prize monies. Uh, we need to organize everything uh, around this and so it's it's just a very pricey uh, thing and we haven't figured out yet how to um, monetize it in a way that it's worth for us to spend uh, all that time doing it and until we not have like a, a reasonable concept for this um, we won't run a second season. There will definitely be a second season, but there are no like real plans for it. So it can be March, it can be August. We don't really know. Um, we have some, some other projects uh, going on at the moment that will be published first and that also require a lot of workload. Um, so yeah, there will be a season two. Um, but not in the near future, like not in the next three months, definitely not. Um, and yeah, if maybe you have super nice ideas how to monetize it that goes beyond let everybody pay five to 10 euros of uh, fees because that won't do it, um, then let me know. Like just so you know, roughly season one was around 20,000 euros in, in cost. Um, so that is what we roughly need to <laughs> generate uh, out of it. Um, of course, we have a surplus, so it makes sense for us to do it. And if you have reasonable ideas, feel free to share it. And then, yeah, it might be a bit faster with, uh, with season two. All right. Then Can I get a question for you? Sure. Go ahead. Hmm. Okay, flow motion underscore street workout ask any experience with intermediate fasting to gain weight. So usually people ask if we have experience with intermediate fasting to lose weight, but now it's the opposite, gaining weight. Sure. Um, first of all, I'm not a big advocate of intermediate fasting, simply because uh, you limit the time frame where you can eat and that is not as nice especially for the muscle protein synthesis since the muscle protein synthesis is constantly working and if you don't give your body enough protein it will take the protein off your muscles it will break it down and it will use it as energy so this means you need to constantly give your body 
a little bit of protein. <clears throat> Ideally, you distribute it out over the course of the day. So roughly four to five uh, meals would be appropriate with a protein feeding of roughly 20 to 40 grams, depending on the person. And that is already the biggest problem with intermediate fasting, because you probably eat eight hours of a 24-hour day and you only have those four to five uh, possibilities during the day to give your body a little bit of protein and therefore I would recommend to not do intermediate fasting but if you want to do so then just get in three what to four. It's uh, actually the original idea behind it so if you like the promoters of intermediate fasting like what is the argument like I, I never dived into this like what Why is it so popular? I never understood that. Yeah. Do you know? Me neither. So I never touched on that as well. Like I, I understand the logic for people that want to lose weight because if you just limit the, the, the window in, in which you can eat to like six or eight hours, it's like hard to, yeah, but to, it, it's to not get like 5,000 of calories in and then it's easier yeah, to, but to lose weight. But that's not impossible. So I know yeah, plenty I mean, of people who do intermediate fasting and then they eat three meals a day and each uh, meal contains 1,500 calories. Then you so. will also overshoot. But like, I think that was the, the intention, just limiting the window of, of possible snacks. Exactly. And yeah, for some yeah. people that might work. Um, Because the time of fasting is like way too short for any fasting advantages. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. so the best yeah. is eat your frequent meals. Just Eat like a grown-up. <laughs> And to gain weight, you need to have a bit, uh, calorie surplus. That is all what you need to do to gain weight. And you can do that within a time frame of eight hours. And you can do that within a time frame of 16 hours per day. And how you distribute it out throughout the day might make some differences, especially on for higher-level athletes, simply because... Um, due to the muscle protein synthesis and a more evenly distributed um, calorie. And for, for training uh, performance, you should input. also definitely make sure to have like, even if you're doing intermediate fasting, to have like a meal one to three hours, depending on how fast you digest and what you eat um, before the workout, because otherwise I fear your performance. Exactly. Then... Let's continue with the no, next... I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's lunchtime. All right. So, next question. How long should a hypertrophy, strength and peaking phase be? So, very... Very big, general question. Big, big in general question. Let's try to make this as, as general as possible. So, first of all, There is no general answer. Um, it's not like I can tell you it's always three months of hypertrophy followed by two months of strength followed by a four-week phase of peaking. Like that, that won't work because you need to take a look at the individual needs of an athlete and of course also at the, the time frame that you have. So... You have a different approach when someone has a competition in three months versus someone that has a competition in 12 months. So that is the first thing you should take a look at. How much time do you have until your next competition? 
Next thing I would take into consideration is your own level. Are you already a very experienced lifter? Um, are you more a beginner? Um, how much muscle mass do you already have? Um, what is the weight class that you want to compete in? Because that kind of also defines if you really can have like a useful hypertrophy phase or not. Um, so there are several, several factors that you need to take into consideration. And um, if you are an unexperienced lifter, I would spend most of the time of your prep really with uh, moderate to high intensity, so not too high. Um, let's say like the the um, the frame, like sixty to eighty percent one rep max, roughly. Um, why not absolute high, like eighty plus percentages? Because with beginners, um, you just respond very very good to those uh, moderate intensities. That means you get the same results from moderate intensities that you would get with high intensities while having lower risk of injury, um, lower fatigue, and that's just then the superior approach for you. Um, you have probably not too good technical capabilities, um, which also then is something um, that influences uh, the intensity that you can use in your training because you're technically not safe. I would just not train um, too heavy and then last four to to eight weeks before the competition i would um, start when you are a beginner with really practicing um, the competition lifts also then with singles and doubles because that is a skill that requires practice so only because you have a high estimated one rep max from working with 80 percent uh, or 60 percent doesn't mean you can bring that performance on stage. So even though you're a beginner, like the last couple of weeks before the competition, I would definitely suggest you to peak, meaning progressively increase um, the intensity towards the performance uh, that you want to have on, on the platform. Um, yeah, I talked a lot. Maybe for intermediate to advanced lifters, uh, you can take over. <laughs> sure. So it's always highly depends on the goals of the athlete so if we're taking elite athletes who really want to compete at a higher level or competed already uh, it might make sense to not go into specific phases at all because um, it might be that the athlete is not prepared for certain phases because if let's say if you have someone who trains for a 1RM competition and during his hypertrophy phase he's training uh, in the higher rep ranges and that is not specific at all for his um, sport he's doing because he's competing at a 1RM competition. So in that case it might, it may, might make sense to split the training not into phases like a hypertrophy strength and peaking phase but keeping specificity high throughout the whole season or or, or divide the training more into off and in season and the, as there are some lifters out there who might benefit from doing singles the whole year long um, so they get better at doing these because 
there are some people out there who have really trouble with yeah, getting better uh, with those higher intensities where others are out there who have a harder time to do um, more reps, you know, and therefore this might be a good idea for some people to stay in yeah, the specific kind of training throughout the whole year simply to keep the adaptations high and as you might spend a little longer time in a hypertrophy phase you don't know how much the effect might be for the strength phase or the outcome of the strength phase and i think what, what uh, the absolute base of what you need to understand is that strength athletes always do strength training so even in what you call hypertrophy phases, volume phases, off seasons, you still train very, very strength specific. So a power lifter will never train like a bodybuilder, even though he is in a hypertrophy phase. He will still do heavy triples, heavy sets of five, maybe heavy singles, as you say, or heavy doubles, whatever. Um, so you always have with your competition lifts heavy work in. That's what your sport is. So a powerlifter or weighted calisthenics athlete will never be a bodybuilder for six months just because it's, it's off season. So uh, the term hypertrophy phase is more related to focusing on building up muscles, building up movement qualities, strengthening structures. It's not training like a bodybuilder for a certain period of time. And so you will have power lifters that are in a hypertrophy phase and the only thing they are doing different is they eat a bit more calories because they have more room for, for weight gain because they do not need to compete on a certain level. And the amount of heavy work is maybe reduced a bit. And that's like the main difference that you have. So it's not like um, most people think that you have like three months of um, reps of eight only so I do um, weighted dips eight reps then I go over to a strength phase and I do uh, five times five and then I go over to a peaking and I do five times one um, that's not how it works like you never have rep ranges exclusively in one phase you always do all of it just the ratios of how much heavy work how much moderate intensity work you are doing that differs from phase um, to phase and the the volume also changes um, usually during the phases that also depends on on the lifter a bit um, but usually the heavier you go the more rest times you need the more uh, central nervous system fatigue you accumulate that means automatically for most athletes you need to down regulate the volume a bit um, but that also differs from athlete to athlete. And how you can run a peaking also highly depends on, on how much uh, experience you, you already have um, and also how strong you are. Because like uh, peaking for like Toa, half Toa, uh, who needs to lift like, I don't know, 600 kg in the deadlift uh, takes more time to build up. Um, then a deadlift peaking for Michael who can barely lift 250. Um, so a lot of a lot of factors. Definitely, yeah. But I think that 
answers the question Actually, pretty we good. haven't really answered it, but <laughs> it depends. It depends, it depends as always. <laughs> All right, uh, then let's continue with another question. I think it's my turn. Oh, yeah. Then we have Momo Hofmeister, Hofmeister, antagonistic supersets effective for muscle growth. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> um, antagonistic supersets um, is like doing a biceps curl followed by a triceps extension, for example. And if all the criterias are kept in mind when planning the training, like volume, intensity, frequency, and so on, um, it might be effective for muscle growth if you're in a calorie surplus. Maybe adding why it has the, um, how do you say, roof, roof in English? Why it's been thought to be very effective for muscle growth is because you just can do more training in less total time. And as volume seems to have a dose-response relationship with muscle growth, um, more training in many cases is related to more hypertrophy. And that's why those antagonistic supersets um, are referred to being good for hypertrophy. But if you are in a caloric deficit, you're not training it to failure and uh, your technique is shit and the training doesn't arrive in the muscles that you want to train, then also antagonistic supersets won't grow uh, your muscles. So in the end, it all comes down to uh, eating enough and training intense enough. Right. Awesome. Then next up, Jonas Mees. If ever talked of using velocity failure in training or is it overkill? Um, like we talked about this before and I have literally zero experience with velocity-based training. I haven't had um, the time yet to, to dig into it. Um, as far as I know, there are also no references for weighted calisthenics yet. So you would need to do all the like transfer work from powerlifting, looking at these numbers, uh, trying to transfer it to weighted. Um, so for now I'm, um, have like really just the bare minimum of knowledge about it. Yeah. But you can adapt uh, your intensity to be kind of a velocity stop. So let's say, um, if you have someone who really needs to practice a certain lift, you give them, uh, an RPE of let's say seven. And he's doing sets until he exceeds that RPE, for example. And that would be kind of similar to a velocity-based stop you can use to have uh, more volume for that lifter to get more practice in and to keep quality high, of course. But there are also several other things on how you can go about such a thing. Um, doesn't necessarily have to do with velocity by itself, but you can give a uh, weighter for a uh, lifter, for example, a fixed weight and a fixed rep range or another rep range, a fixed amount of reps. Let's say um, we give him squats with 150 kg for 24 reps and he's performing reps until he's uh, 
feeling a breakdown in his performance or in the speed of the repetitions. And this is actually an approach that I like to integrate post-competition because work capacity is low and there is a good time to implement or let the lifter work up to higher volumes while also improving his cardiovascular system if rest times are kept in mind, of course. All right, then maybe there is something as well. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the <laughs> Lois, that's a question uh, directly uh, addressing you. Why you never show your training like Micha? Um, in before, he is recording as much as I do. So <laughs> you will find on his phone every fucking set that he ever did. So the question is, why are you such a lazy fucker and are not <laughs> uploading it to your Instagram story? <laughs> so basically, um, I don't like social media that much. And I already spent... 10 to 12 hours per day in front of the computer working, studying. And yeah, I don't want to spend even more time to upload that stuff uh, on Instagram simply because it is uh, more time expensive and time is money, as you know. And yeah, but and Michael is already sharing uh, his More workouts. content generate more clients <laughs> and so more money, my friend. <laughs> that would be, that's true, yeah. <laughs> So maybe in the future uh, you will see more content also. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so. And there was also a second uh, question, yeah, there was a second uh, question addressing also you personally. Yeah, and that was... From Tonio. When do you reach the 500 kg total? Well... <laughs> maybe we should ask Tonio when the fuck he shuts up. <laughs> <laughs> Or when does he reach the 600 kg total? <laughs> yeah, for me personally... Um, There is something planned for the next year. We will see if it happens or not. But first of all, I probably need to hit 400 kg first before I go for the 500 kg. Do you know what your E1RM total is at the moment? At the moment, it's at roughly... So with the... Not at the moment, but with the stats that I calculated for myself that I want to achieve, I'm somewhere in between 380 up to 400, which would be very, very nice. But I'm not sure if it's doable. But within a time frame of six months. Okay. Yeah, but I like think uh, if no injuries are okay. coming along, yeah. then... Then things are looking pretty good at the moment. And yeah. I'm really, really hyped to get into because training is going pretty well at the moment yeah. and the hype is real for both of us. So we're having uh, sessions now where like, um, we didn't used to train together all the time, um, but now like I think three months roughly. Yeah, since uh, beginning of September. Yeah, after uh, the World Championships. Um, yeah, already we... earlier, I guess. If I'm not mistaken, we started already. I'm not sure. And now it's like heavy heavy weighted sessions mm -hmm. <laughs> in the chamber <laughs> in the headquarter yeah man do we have like a last question a last question yeah let me just check the time so there Still is recording actually one more um to give the guys a little bit more input and that one comes from coach dimitrov 
Is there a correlation between handstand push-up and planche? Example, five handstand push-ups equals three to four seconds straddle planche. So first of all, you misinterpreted that, can you say that in English? You misinterpret, inter, mis, you put things in, in, in context uh, the wrong way because if you say there is a correlation, yes, but a correlation does not mean equals. So correlation means better enhanced than push-up for a very, very high uh, chance also equals better in planche. But no direct transfer like five reps is one second, 10 reps is two seconds because it's just a correlation. So they correlate and it's not equal. And that is also how I would put it. So definitely they correlate because they train similar patterns. It's both a shoulder flexion dominant movement so handstand push-up will have a, a carryover, but just in a, in a way that it correlates. So there is no direct transfer. So just from handstand push-ups, you probably won't get much better in, in, in planches. Yeah, I think that answers it well. And then we finish today's episode of the King of Weighted Coaching Cues. A calisthenics coaching cues podcast and we'll practice this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll practice this once again yeah as usual and, and yeah don't as forget. always you want to do the coaching pitch this time go for it if you want to level up your weighted calisthenics training um, combine it with skill work um, avoid injuries if you already have like annoying nagging injuries get rid of them uh, we are willing to offer our help so if you're interested in working with us as your personal online coaches, then just schedule the link, schedule the link, schedule your free <laughs> consulting call via the link in the description. And then I would say see you in the consulting call and in the next episode.